0: Jarvin. he's done it! hill hill done it again! What a goal by
1: Tim Hello everybody and welcome to the Premier League Nightclub podcast. My name is Damon and with me of course I have Woody and Woodra. We've got a massive episode this week. Natalie Yurinides is coming onto the pod to not just discuss football, but discuss all sports in general. It's gonna be massive. How are you doing?
0: Mate, I'm I'm doing pretty well. And most of that is credited to having Nat come on the show, Damo. And I'm gonna give bit a of, bit of a uh, bit of a hot sort of comment here and, and I think tell me if you agree or not. Nat Are you pumping up the hype train here? I am, I am is this where you're going. This Jeez, that was cringe. (laughs) Um, (laughs) No, Damon, this is my hot tip. I reckon Nat would have to be the most knowledgeable guest that we've had on about the sporting industry and the media industry as a whole,
1: without a doubt. Yeah, she's definitely the most uh, dynamic uh, sort of media guru we've had in. I feel like every other person we've had has been specific to one area or specific to even one state. But I feel like she's travelled a little bit in Australia, which we haven't seen a lot of from our other guests. So, you know, it'll be it'll be good to have her on and hopefully we can get discussed, discuss some stuff like the uh, FIFA Women's World Cup, which we didn't get stuck into a lot uh, in some previous episodes and and a few other things. So I'm very excited about that. Mm, completely.
0: And I tell you what, Damo, we've got to look at a few things before we do get stuck into this Nat interview.
1: And one of them was a result from this morning. Mate, Week right, so Woodrow, we sat down and said, "What do we want to talk about?" Just before we get stuck into the interview, you know, basically just remind people that we actually are on this pod as well, not just the guests we have on, <laughs> and and we were like, "Oh yeah, you know, top four race heating up." We spoke about that quite a lot last week. Of course, we're probably going to get stuck into some FA Cup in a minute, but the result of Aston Villa defeating Arsenal one 0 turned the pod and the Premier League, but most importantly, the pod on its head. The, the relegation battle looked looked finished. It looked like Watford and West Ham were home, but a huge win from Villa over Arsenal has now put Villa out of the relegation zone for the first time in God knows how long. Watford, after sacking Nigel Pearson this week, which that's a whole another bu- basket case of a situation why that's happened. But basically, Watford are back into 18th position, and play Arsenal on the final day. You have to say, Villa in the box seat now. Mate, completely they're in the box seat. And you know what? I would
0: love to to know what Nigel Pearson is thinking at the moment. And I'll tell you what really struck me. Why the hell would they sack him before a City game? Like, if they're going to sack him, you know, before any game, sh- like uh, surely it's one they would go out and potentially win. You know what I mean? Before, before yeah, that know, sort of game. I know what you mean. But the way City are going at the moment and the way they're putting these bottom 10 sides to bed at the moment, you'd say no matter if they sack Pearson or not, they're probably going to get absolutely smacked. And that's what absolutely happened.
1: Yeah. uh, uh, There has to be more to it than I am aware of and what we're aware of, Woodrow, because it's, Such a strange decision with two games to go in the season. All right, they're playing Man City and Arsenal in their last two games. And if Villa were to win like they did this morning, either of those last two, it put Watford in a real shit position. But I don't see what a change in manager does for that. Does that Mm. sort of make sense? Like, it was almost like... Did they think a change in manager was going to bring a change in fortune? I would back Nigel Pearson to have a crack at Arsenal on the final day better than most other managers available. So yeah, and, I just find really And the really thing is weird.
0: now, with that sacking, they've just put Villa in the box seat like you just said, Damo, because they play West Ham on, fi- on the final day. So, you know what? It just seems like sacking Nigel Pearson, if anything, is just probably put Watford down, if I'm going to be honest with yeah. you, considering what he did with and the team this season.
1: It, it was, I mean, I've said it a hundred times already, bizarre, bizarre sacking. But also, it was almost asking for the result this morning to happen by doing that. Do you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. You almost feel like the the football gods would have got Arsenal over line this morning if Watford hadn't been so just dumb in their decision making. It's almost a bit of karma. Mm-hmm. And yeah, as you said, you'd love to know what Nigel Pearson's thinking right now because the guy took them out of the re- out of bottom spot in about seven weeks when he took over, and somehow he doesn't have a job by before the end of the season. So you know. It is what it is, and it's the uh, football industry that we are in. We're sticking with football, but steering our way into a bit of FA Cup action. Mm. It was meant to be a Manchester derby in the FA Cup final, according to the bookies, but a few disaster classes, calamities at the back from the Manchester clubs, have left it with an Arsenal versus Chelsea final.
0: I know, London derby. London derby final when everyone was picking a Manchester derby. It could not be more of a switch in fortunes. And I tell you what, Damo, it, 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 it looked pretty grim from a Manchester, uh, just a Manchester, you know, town sort of perspective mm. to see both clubs sort of get their pants pulled down and get a bit of an arse whooping actually.
1: And to be honest with you, both clubs probably fell victim in a way that if they were going to lose, would be the case. Sort of, you know, City's defensive calamities and lack of concentration has cost them so many points this season. And again, it hasn't been able to be hidden in an FA Cup semi-final. And of course, the form of David De Gea, which has been discussed all week now since since that game against mm. Chelsea, it's come back to haunt him again. And, you know, we keep hearing these stats that David De Gea has made more, uh, Errors leading to goals in the last two seasons than he had in his first seven seasons at Man United. So, you know, there's form, there's a hiccup, and then there's genuinely a downhill slope, Mm. which David De Gea seems to be on right now. And I know we haven't got all the time in the world to to talk about it. And we've spoken about De Gea's form and we've spoken about Man City's defense, but I just, I feel like we should steer away from the negatives if it's all right with you, Woodrow, and just quickly touch on the fact that Arteta and Lampard, one of them, is going to have a trophy in their first season as a top flight manager. Uh, I think it's a wonderful result for whoever wins the, the uh, FA Cup final.
0: Yeah, and I think that's something that no one would be expecting uh, to be said about either Lampard or Arteta come at the end of this season. And of course, we look at Chelsea. Uh, everyone picked, um, I think we even picked Chelsea to finish outside of the top six, considering who they yeah. had their list with the transfer ban going on and whatnot as well. But if anything, Lampard's just showed the the seal that he has as a manager. Look, obviously they've got the FA Cup semi-final, and it looks out of United, Leicester, and Chelsea that Chelsea are really the only ones that are probably gonna get guaranteed a top four spot to to fill out yeah. that top four. So if anything, Chelsea's season's been a massive success. And I think since Arteta has come into Arsenal as well, you can probably say it's been a lot better than it has been worse um, and you can see a significant upside improvement as well not only the list but their receptiveness on the field the way they're playing of course there's been a few hiccups as well but to get to an FA Cup final you know especially in your first season that's something that's something to be pretty lauded.
1: Yeah 100% and you know we touched on Arsenal so much this season and quite frankly I think Woody we were talking about which teams have we discussed throughout the year and It must be over 30 times we've mentioned Arsenal in a podcast, (laughs) if not more like. It's outrageous. But to be fair to them, yeah, you've said it, Woody. That They've been good the last few weeks. Of course, had a big hiccup this morning, which means now they can't make Europa League through the league. It has to be uh, via the FA Cup final or actually, yeah, just simply the FA Cup final because they are out of the Europa League. But, you know, for, for their season to say finish eighth and an FA Cup final win, at the start, you would have said disappointing. But given where they were around Christmas time, I think mm. you'd have to say it's a success, and Arteta gets a platform to now move off and, and increase his wins tally uh, for next season. So, you know, hopefully Arsenal can get back to the team we know they can be and the club they should be. And of course, Chelsea, with the, those summer signings coming uh, for the new season, they'll be ready to go. They're going to look dangerous,
0: well. Damon. They're going to look very dangerous, especially if Habits uh, is coming as well. Woof. <laughs>
1: One last thing, Woodra, before we get into the interview, because I know people are probably just saying, boys, shut up. Let's. We want to hear from Nat, which <laughs> is fair enough. But one thing that is definitely worth a mention is the fact that for the first time since 1956, the Ballon d'Or will not be awarded for mm. a calendar year, which I know, Woodrow, you were a little bit sceptical on, which I tended to agree with. Uh, but basically, yeah, no Ballon d'Or... No Messi better Ronaldo, no Pinaldo better Pessi, all that sort of stuff. Like, we're not going to be able to see it on social media. And I, I'm devastated about it because, I, you know, I wake up every morning and it's sort of the content I want to read about. But, nevertheless, I would actually say Robert Lewandowski was the one that probably would have won it if bias and, you know, uh, reputations were put to the side. But Woodrow, I want you to now, you take the floor and tell us your opinion on why it potentially was a wrong decision.
0: Mate, I'll tell you what, and it's something that we did talk about, Damer, and I'm glad you've asked me for my opinion as well because I might go on a little bit of a rant here. I'm going to try and keep it brief. (laughs) But (laughs) tell me, I I don't understand how clubs can still be awarding individual awards for the season, and yet a Ballon d'Or can't be given out. If titles are still being um, given and won, then mm-hmm. I don't see how individual awards can't be given and won as well. Because everyone's fi- pretty much everyone's finished their season by League One, right? And if we're looking at yeah. League One, there's probably only two contenders in there for a Ballon d'Or, and that's Neymar and um, Mbappe. But nevertheless, I think they've had enough of a season to sort of adjudicate how they've gone in a calendar year. And for me, that sort of puts into question, you know... I just don't understand how our our titles can be won, but awards like individual awards like this can't be given out. Like seasons are being finished. And and for me, I just just don't understand. And it really brings into question, I think, the way that the award is maybe given in that uh, it might not fall to someone that they necessarily might like to give it to, which again, probably, yeah, Yeah. it it sort of triggers me a little bit. and, And questions... I guess, some of the legitimacy behind some of the decisions that the Ballon d'Or has been given in the last few years. I don't know. It makes me a bit frustrated that they won't give it out.
1: Yeah, in saying that, like, the voters, we've even had Daniel Garbon a couple of times, someone who has voted for the Ballon d'Or before. You know, we now see who they vote for. There's there's no dodgy winner from a voting perspective. But, yeah, it seems like FIFA got given, or France football, FIFA have been given a little bit of power and they've realised that Robert Lewandowski might be the favourite, so they haven't gone a- gone ahead with the ceremony and the award. and And I think my main issue is when we count up the amount of g- games of football played by players that come the end of this calendar year, I don't think it would be any less, any not a lot less than any other normal year. Do you know? what it, We're playing catch up, fair enough. But come the end of the season, mm. and end of and halfway through next season. I feel like most football players, professional football players, would have played the same amount of games as they would have if there was no coronavirus. Mm. So, you know, that's just my opinion and, and your opinion as well, Woodrow. But at the end of the day, we're going to make absolutely no difference. <laughs> Shit, I mean, if you're not that high up at FIFA, you barely make a difference. <laughs> Let's head into the big, big reason everybody clicked play on the pod. And that is to hear from Nat Ioannidis Woodra. Give us another little bit of an intro, and we'll get stuck into it.
0: Let's do it, Damo, because we have got coming on Nat Ioannidis, tried and tested sports uh, reporter and media expert. We've got coming on the pod. Boy, oh boy, Damo, I am so excited for this because we have got the most diverse sports rider in the game coming on the pod. Something that I never thought we'd say. Her knowledge is ridiculous and so far-spanning, Damo. I don't know if we'll be able to keep this to 40 minutes, to be honest with you. We're going to be rambling for so long. And I'm rambling right now, but just because
1: I'm so excited, let's get her on the pod, Damo. Let's get the Skype call up and running. I'm glad you finished it there because I was about to play the uh, Skype intro music anyway. Let's do it. Yep, on the line we have Nat Yianides, the reporter, massive Arsenal fan. She has reported on pretty much every sport on the earth, I'm pretty sure, and follows pretty much every sport on the earth. Nat, thank you so much for coming on.
2: No, thanks for having me, guys. It's good to be speaking to you, even though we're we're all sort of down in lockdown here in Melbourne. But it's nice to to have something to, to look forward to and just keep getting through each day by day.
0: Yeah, for sure. And, and I think Damon and I can definitely relate to that at all. Uh, so much, sorry, because I think we just find ourselves doing the podcast week in, week out, and our lives just consist of nothing else. So we've got nothing else to really look <laughs> forward to. Um, and with that being said, Nat, obviously, Melbourne, we've gone back into lockdown 2.0. How's that treating you so far?
2: Um, to be perfectly honest, nothing's really changed from a couple of weeks ago. We never really got out of lockdown, to be perfectly honest. And and when it when we did, a lot of people didn't really want to go out and do much. So, to be mm. to be frank, until we can actually sit in a pub and watch the footy, an entire <laughs> match of the footy, and not be kicked out while just having a drink, nothing's going back to normal until that can can happen again. That's my epitome, I reckon.
1: Yeah, actually it's funny you mentioned that. I went to a pub I think the Sunday before we went back into a full lockdown and, and I did those uh you know, you can pre-buy your pints of beer, so you sort of have like two for one deal. And yep. I it was Richmond versus Melbourne on a on the Sunday and me and my mate went into the pub and we had like I mean, responsible drinking of alcohol for sure, yep. but we had like twelve planned minimum and then realised the pub closes at like five, which was like <laughs> half time at the footy. And it was just one of those like sliding doors moments it's like do we do we do it but we we held back and so I've still got like 10 pints left at that uh pub that I'm looking forward to getting stuck back into once this is all over
2: yeah absolutely Um, right
1: yeah but until then that um (laughs) it's probably yeah it's probably (laughs) worth getting uh stuck into your career because it is an interesting one as I said in the introduction you've reported on an absolute crap load of sports so uh, my first question to you is, where did the passion begin for journalism and media? And then as well, why sport specifically?
2: Um, it's really interesting. So I, I always really wanted to get into sports media, probably since I realized that I wasn't going to play any professional sport, which was about the age of 11. So I'd always really been interested in playing sport and tennis was my sport growing up. Um, because back in those days, you know, girls weren't allowed to play footy. I, I speak like it was back in the 50s, but it really wasn't that yeah. long ago. Um, mm. You know, girls weren't allowed to, or, or didn't, it wasn't the norm thing to go be a part of the Auskick, uh side at primary school or to play local footy or anything like that. So it was always a bit of tennis, a bit of netball. Um, and tennis is such a competitive sport. You pretty much know from the age of 11 if you're not winning. Titles by then, and you're not on scouts' radars, you're not going to make it. So, it was pretty obvious to me very early that it wasn't going to be happening. And the obvious choice was to go into media. I've always been really, really uh, pretty good at English at school. I considered becoming a physio, realised I couldn't count. So, of course, maths is pretty important when you're doing science (laughs) and things like that. So, over to the humanities, it was over to the arts, and um, yeah, pretty much went from there. Just loved, loved AFL. AFL was my first love, um, by far, and then since then, it's just sort of grown. Whether it be rugby, whether it be football, whether it be cricket, um, but yeah, that was where it all started.
0: Nice. It probably sounds like a little, little snippet of what Damon's journey is looking like at the moment, um, <laughs> just from a, from an early perspective. But, Nat, during your time as a reporter, I mean, like Damon said, you, you've covered a he- heap of sports around the country. Um, would you say you prefer reporting on any or do you have a preference? Because I know your Twitter presence is absolutely massive and you tweet on pretty much <laughs> every code of sport, but do you sort of lean towards one in terms of how strongly you actually support it?
2: Uh, it's, it's changed a lot over the years. I mean, Like I said, growing up, it was always footy or AFL. And then moving to Sydney, I really got into rugby. Um, Mm -hmm. I started doing an internship at the ABC up there, and we used to cover the local competition in New South Wales, which is the Shoot Shield. That used to be um, a big part of the internship, being on the sideline for that. And so I really got into rugby. And for about five years, I didn't watch any football. I didn't watch any AFL at all, really. Criminal. I know it sounds (laughs) awful doesn't it I mean we'd go to the pub and watch I mean there was a lot of a lot of my friends were from Perth um so there was still that element to it but mostly it was just covering rugby whether or not I prefer one over the other I think they've all got their um they've all got their pros and cons really AFL is such a demanding industry that you Mm. get one thing wrong and everyone starts to get really upset. There's absolutely nowhere to hide in the AFL media industry. But they've all got their pros and cons. So if I had to pick, I'd probably say that footy was number one at the moment. But like I said, summer comes around, the tennis comes around, the cricket, and things change pretty quickly.
0: For all all our listeners as well, we're talking footy as in the AFL game, not the round (laughs) ball game. Yes, sorry,
2: sorry, my bad.
0: No, it's all right. Uh, unfortunately, we're stuck in a, a country where footy gets referred to as potentially six different sports. So mm-hmm. it's, it's sort of hard to distinguish, but yeah.
1: I think we've done, what, 48 episodes now, and we still haven't really decided whether we go with soccer or football when we're talking about it. I think we change week to week, so probably a good reflection of how this country sees the round ball game. Um, I do want to ask one thing about your reporting. Do you have, like, a specific uh, story – or opinion on any players that you thought have been like you know really funny or really nice to deal with or on the contrary to that really bad to deal with if you want to throw anyone under the bus um, can be from any code
2: no i mean I, there are some people that as a kid you know you know what it's like you've you've got these riv- not rivals but you know they're villains in your eyes they were players that played for for example i'm an Essendon fan so players anyone that played for Collingwood was absolutely a villain Um, And Nathan Buckley was public enemy number one growing up as a kid (laughs) as a massive James Heard fan because those two were always going head to head. But then meeting Nathan Buckley in real life just absolutely threw a spanner in the works because he's one of the nicest people and he's so easy to deal with. So it's interesting to see, like, personas away from off the field and um, just how they interact with, with the fans and and with the media. And, and Nathan Buckley was certainly one of those people who I would never say a bad word about because he was just a joy to deal
0: with. Yeah, that's interesting you say that because I think look back looking back to our first ever interview um, with someone that wasn't directly involved with the podcast, it was Tommy Morris, and he said when it comes to media you sort of have to be shrewd in what you write about people or, or mm-hmm. write about in your articles in a sense because – he saw it as if it affects someone's contract, and it's worth a headline. And it sort of leads me to my next question in asking, when you meet these sort of guys like your Bucks and all these AFL players and, and, and players of any code, in a sense as well, what line do you sort of draw when you sort of try and have to uh, write an article about them? Like how can, at what extent do you go to sort of censor what you say? Oh uh, Yeah, it, it is a difficult
2: one um, because, I mean, human nature means that personal personal relationships personal opinions are always going to be in the background of your mind but the mm-hmm. one thing about journalism is trying to to stay unbiased and yes it is really difficult but as a general rule if you do stick to the facts stay away from analysis and opinion assuming it is meant to be a, a factual piece then you find that most people will respect what you've written, regardless of, you know, how Mm -hmm. damning it might be. If it's something but it's factual, then usually it is okay. Tom Morris has been called everything under the sun. I'm sure sure he would have mentioned. We used to have a whiteboard at work. So I know Tom really well when we worked together at Fox, and we had a whiteboard, and down the side of the whiteboard was. we had a list of things that coaches had said about Tom and just every oh. name that he had been called. <laughs> so you've got to be thick skinned. You certainly do. But I think most people do respect that you've got a job to do as long as you're not, you know, being unfair.
1: Mm-mm. Yeah. We had a uh, Matt Jarvis, ex premier league player on a couple of weeks ago and, and Woody made a, a small error in, in the introduction. Basically he, he did play for the team that, woody mentioned but it definitely wasn't one of the main teams that people know him from yeah. and and basically we we got a one guy pointed it out in the comment section on our twitter and woody had woody couldn't handle it he was he was done for about yeah. two hours <laughs> so he's got he's gonna need to thicken up that skin because he, I, I thought it was <laughs> hilarious and i just told him any publicity is good publicity but it, it was um it was a learning experience for us so i can't begin to imagine what the uh you know professionals go through
2: uh, you um, look. You have to learn, but you'll get there, trust me, because <laughs> social media is a scary place.
1: <laughs> <laughs> it sure is. It sure is. Um, Nat, we sort of have to bring this up uh, because it's, you know, it's a talk of the town, unfortunately, and that's the current coronavirus situation and its effect on the sports media industry. And you would know exactly how it feels more than most. Um, but without being too specific – What's it been like on the industry, and did people realise it was going to have this much of an effect as quickly as it did, or did it take some time to to set in for you and your colleagues?
2: Uh, it happened a lot quicker than I think most people thought it was going to to happen. For um, a lot of workplaces, things shut down incredibly quickly before the AFL season even shut down. So. It, it was uh, it blindsided a lot of us in some ways it's great to see that the footy is back and you can see a little bit of life coming back into the industry in some in some regards but it has been decimated at the moment but I think it's an opportunity for for new voices to to start podcasts and to to start finding different ways to to really have um you know have their say and have an opinion and builds up a following and audience because as the media industry as the mainstream media industry slowly starts to to shrink there are opportunities out there because there is such a thirst for sport doesn't matter what the sport is whether it be football soccer whether it be um aussie rules whether it be tennis there is a thirst for for analysis for opinions for conversations about it and so i think that while the industry is shrinking it's only a matter of time before it does grow in different directions
1: yeah no for no well, absolutely no doubt about it we we pretty much started up this podcast obviously quite some time before this whole thing hit but yeah it was it was funny woody and i probably found a uh, more passion when the sport wasn't on if that sort of makes sense because mm-hmm. we, we just felt like you know suddenly people such as yourselves had more time to talk to us like you know mm-hmm. we that's probably one positive for us and then you know we could reminisce about all that sort of stuff and it just brings a new sort of dynamic like on every sport code, the their media platforms were basically just reminiscing about the past and that wasn't necessarily a bad thing. Obviously people got maybe a little bit sick of it and there's only so mm-hmm. many articles you can write about, you know, the most famous AFL grand final of all time or whatever, <laughs> but you know, like it was, it brought a new dynamic to the industry that hadn't really been seen before because quite frankly, there's no time for it when live sports on every day. Um, but yeah, you did mention that people are starting to see a little bit of a light at the end of the tunnel. What's the mindset of your colleagues or your former colleagues and those who are still at Fox, those who aren't, do you keep in contact with them?
2: Um, Yeah, I mean, I still keep in contact with a lot of the guys that I've worked with um, over the last few years. In fact, I just got off the phone to one of them about half an hour before I jumped on with you guys. So, it's a little bit different in Melbourne at the moment because obviously we haven't got any sport, whereas interstate, I mean, you saw the game uh, between Adelaide and St Kilda uh, Mm. in the AFL on the Monday night and, you know, almost a full crowd or what looked like a full crowd compared to what we've had certainly over the last few weeks. Um, So in other states, it is getting back to a little bit of normality. It's a little bit harder here and I think that a lot of people are feeling that because you can't just go out to training you you can't just go out to a press conference you can't even go to a game at the moment so they're feeling it in that regard but at least we do have sport going on somewhere opposed to the first time when we were locked down and like you said we had nothing to watch really but uh, the Michael Jordan documentary and then of course we've had only articles to read about you know who is the Australian equivalent of Michael Jordan? So, <laughs> at least we do have something uh, slightly more relevant to talk about. So, that does keep people going. And I think it, you know, it's, it is a, a cause for optimism. It's a little bit sad to, to see that the, the Cricket World Cup won't be going on, the T20 World Cup won't be played here in Australia this year. That's been uh, delayed. And then, as we know, the Olympics were supposed to start just next week. But mm, wow. it does mean that we've got something to look forward to in 2021. And I think that that keeps people going and keeps them optimistic,
0: mm, for sure. And I think no doubt, as you said, the light at the end of the tunnel would would pave way for a lot of careers to get back on track as well. And and no doubt yourself, because we don't want to see the media industry struggling for too long. But there are some sport that is back, of course, and that is the EPL. Um, unlike mm-hmm. Australia, there are a lot of. A lot of uh, people missing from stadiums <laughs> in yeah. over in England. Uh, and with that being said, um how did you sort of fall in love with Arsenal because we know you're a very passionate gunner?
2: Yeah, it's um so this is another one of those moved up to Sydney and started having my eyes opened to all these different sports. Once you step out of the AFL bubble, you realize there's there's another world out there. Um it's also when we started I noticed when I moved to Sydney that in Melbourne, we tend to call it soccer a little bit more. Up in mm-hmm. Sydney, it's uh, it's not as accepted. It's more football up there and then the other codes are referred to as NRL, AFL, whatever it might be. Um, and working shift work certainly uh, gives you plenty of opportunities to, to sit up and, and watch the APL. So when I started with Fox, we started um, I started doing 4am start there and that was when... I really started to get into it. I'd always kind of followed it back home. My brother's a big Chelsea fan, actually. Um, mm. So it was, you know, pick a team and we'll go with that. But then once we, once I moved up to Sydney and a lot of my friends went for Arsenal as well and we just started really getting into it. I mean, it's been pretty slim picking since then. I think it's like, what, one one FA Cup? But um, hopefully <laughs> things are going to be turning around shortly.
1: Of course, you're in another FA Cup final now up against Chelsea, so um, that'll be at least something for the Arsenal fans who haven't had a lot to celebrate recently, as you just said. Um, had, have you been keeping up with it recently in the past sort of you know, 12 to 24 months? Um, and in saying that, does the Fox Sport community get around the Premier League as much as they used to after losing the uh, TV rights?
2: Uh, That's a hard one, isn't it? I think that if you're passionate about it, you're still going to watch it regardless of whether it's on Optus, whether it's on Fox Sports. There's no question that it certainly made it a lot more difficult to to access. Normally, Mm -hmm. you'd come home from work, you know, you finish work at one o'clock in the morning. You come home, there'd be an early game on. You just sit, chill, watch that for a little bit. It became a lot more difficult, and all of a sudden, it's more the diehard fans. But there's no question that there is a huge, huge interest in in EPL in Australia, and certainly at Fox Sports, there was probably more people that were interested in in football and EPL than there were in any other sport in that Sydney office. Wow. Yeah, there was a huge interest. Um, uh, in the in the EPL and and in the A League as well, and I think that soccer fans in general are a little bit more passionate. You just get mm. that impression that while they might be the minority, there's always a there's always a real voice. I compare it to rugby because I've worked in rugby for for such a long time, and there just seems to be while there are certainly passionate rugby fans, there's no question about it that that um. The number of people isn't as great and they're not as vocal. So Mm. that's one thing uh, that football certainly has going for it. So no matter where it is, there's always going to be that interest, whether it is on Fox, Optus, whether it's on free-to-air, there's always going to be people that are going to seek it out. What um, football's next uh, challenge is going to be is can you expand that uh, that interest, those people tap into the young kids that are playing. Because I think it might be one of the most participated sports in, in Australia amongst young kids as well. So there's an opportunity for it, whether it is, is on free to wear or whether it continues to grow on Optus. But that's going to be certainly for the from an A-League perspective, that's going to mm. be where they're going to have to tap in and, and try and get the code back up to what it was um, Back when the Wanderers were winning the Asian Cup, which mm. really wasn't that long ago when you think about it.
0: Mm. Oh, don't even get me started on the state of the A League. It's something I'm very passionate about and seem to have arguments with pretty much every guest that comes on. Um, <laughs> uh, so I'm, that not, I'm not
2: getting in an argument with you about it, Trust me. <laughs>
0: Seems like you're actually on my side, so that's, that's uh, <laughs> let's steer clear of my wrath there. And we might steer clear from it just because I don't want to get too passionate. I don't want to ruin the podcast for everyone that's listening. But <laughs> we're heading to some uh, questions that we got from our Instagram poll. And we've got a question from Lucy Graham. Um, who is your current favourite Arsenal player?
2: Oh. Jeez, it's um, it's pretty hard to go past Abomiyang, isn't it? I mean, just his <laughs> yeah. performance the other day. I mean, that's it. It's it's fairly slim pickings at the moment. I mean, it's not a terrible squad, but when you consider where it has been in the past, um, but he was excellent. He was excellent against Man City in that in that FA Cup uh yeah. match, and yeah, I think I'd have to go with him.
0: Yeah, surely his shoulders must be sore by now for carrying Arsenal for the last two years. I mean, he has, he has to be nearing some sort of shoulder injury. Injury.
2: <laughs> well, hopefully we can um, start to, to build a team. Well, first of all, can um, convince him to stay by playing maybe a bit of uh, European football. I think he might be out of contract. I think it's at the mm-hmm. end of next season. So hopefully they can, can convince him to stay and start to, to build a team around him under Mikel Arteta.
1: Well, Woody's actually sort of stitched me up here because he sort of basically said, oh, now getting stuck into an Instagram poll sort of thing. It's a, He acted like we had a bunch of questions. We're not that big yet, so <laughs> there's really only one more. And um, you've sort of already answered it, but uh, Dimos321 did ask, why Arsenal? And so was it just basically uh, the environment you were in up in Sydney?
2: Uh, yeah, pretty much. It was a lot of my friends went for that side. And, I mean, I'd always been interested in the EPL, but I'd never been a huge supporter. Like I said, my brother was a, a huge uh, Chelsea fan, so um, it was always on in our house. Um, but it wasn't until I got to Sydney and a lot of my friends were big Arsenal fans, and we started getting around it a lot. Particularly those are uh, four a.m. starts when you need something to get you through to to the time that the cafe opens when the coffee is uh, <laughs> when the coffee is coming.
1: For sure. Uh, well, you spoke about the growth of the game in this country, and it's something we talk about almost on a weekly basis, um, you know, from an A-League perspective, an international perspective, we've had so many, you know, not so many, but a handful of players that uh, play in the A-League on the show. We've had a handful that play in sort of the youth competitions uh, in England and Germany, but it's safe to say now, officially, the most exciting thing happening in Australian football is the FIFA Women's World Cup in 2023, and so, first of all, my question is, how bloody excited for you are you for it?
2: I cannot tell you how happy I am that we got it. I think I think everyone sort of knew that it was coming, but no one wanted to jinx it because we've seen what's happened with um with votes for World Cups in the past, particularly mm. involving Australia. But when we woke up to when I woke up to that news uh, a couple of weeks ago, it was just so heartwarming. When I was at the ABC, we used to do the W League. Broadcast. So that was yeah. um, a big part of what I did in my one year at the ABC uh, in the internship there. And, and you got to know the girls and you sort of got to to understand, you know, the challenges that they were up against because mm. a lot of them were working part time, whether they were working uh, in hotels, whether they were teachers, whether they were mechanics, they were all working part time. And all of the sudden, there is this real interest in the Matildas as a brand, and this World Cup is going to lift the profile of the sport so so much. We saw the cricket, the women's cricket World Cup, just mm-hmm. at the start of the year, which I had the um the pleasure of covering the final at the at the MCG over nearly ninety thousand fans at the MCG. It was so exciting, and you can't underestimate what something like that does for a sport I've worked a lot in women's rugby over the last few years as well and women's rugby's got a long long way to go but you can just see that there is that potential there is that interest to to get young girls involved in sport and I can't tell you how much this is going to mean for young kids coming through I already mentioned that you know when I was when I was a kid Girls didn't necessarily play, you know. We didn't play Aussie kick. We didn't play football or anything like that. So this is going to be huge for the game, and I cannot wait until it gets here. The world stage, Australia is going to be right at the middle of it.
1: Yeah, I I couldn't agree more. And to be honest with you, it's maybe a reflection of me being a shit person. But even like five, ten years ago, I probably wouldn't have gone to a female soccer game, and now I genuinely cannot wait. Like I mm. I'm actually annoyed that the AFL are being, you know, uh, stubborn in giving up the MCG because I feel like we could pack out the MCG, uh, but now of course Sydney are probably going to get the final because we can only use, um, I can't believe I forgot the name of it. The square, the square, square grounds, square grounds. Yeah, they, it's Amy changes Park. it changes. Nice. Yeah, good work, Amy Park. Yeah, well, nah, it, I I was reading about it earlier and they used the square the square name instead of Amy Park, so it confused me. My apologies, but yeah, I um, I do I do feel like it's just I've been a massive shift. And uh, yeah, I can't cannot wait.
0: That's actually it that probably leads me to my next question, um, Nat, and that is just looking at the media industry as a whole and, and I guess how it's recepted in Australia, if we look at the I guess the way that the Matildas have grown as a brand over the last few years and we look at more more, I guess, more recently how so many High-profile uh, Australian female soccer players have actually headed overseas to the to the you know W League over there in the EPL, um, and you look at the success of the um, W League here in Australia as well. How much growth has women's sport in this country um, played in, I guess, promoting grassroots? It's
2: huge. I, I even when I started. Like I said, when I did my internship back in 2013, women's soccer was not on the map at all. All of a sudden we're hosting a World Cup and the Matildas are are packing out stadiums. It's come Mm. so, so far in the last couple of years and it's all because sports are starting to realise that there's a thirst Mm. for it. Of course, you're always going to get your haters. Like I said earlier, social media is a a pretty scary place sometimes and it doesn't really matter what you say, you're going to get people that aren't going to to be very supportive of um, what you're trying to achieve and what you're trying to grow because Mm. women's sport is boring or whatever it is that they you know they're flaunting on on social media, but the growth of w- the women's sport in general, whether it be uh, the Matildas, whether it be the W League, uh, whether it be the AFLW, which is something mm. that has grown beyond belief in the last few years. When you consider the amount of, you know, the, when you consider it's only been around for a couple of seasons, it's it's quite remarkable to see how quickly. It has grown and it's because there was always that interest but there was never really that platform to view it. Mm. And like I said, it's so exciting because young girls can watch that and you cannot underestimate, you know, how important it is to for a young for a young girl to, to, you know, have those pathways. I remember once um, I used to play a lot of cricket as well and I, I'll never forget one of my uncles saying to me, Oh, what are you playing cricket for? There's, you can't go anywhere. You can't do anything with that. And all of a sudden, you know, fast forward ten or so years, and mm. you know Australia is winning a World Cup at the MCG in front of ninety thousand fans. You can't say that <laughs> anymore because all of a sudden there is that platform uh, for these girls to to achieve their dreams and. And and to play in front of that many fans, it's just so exciting, and it's happened in a very very short period of time, and just quickly. While we are on the Matildas, can we just talk about um, the players that Arsenal have picked up, so we can yeah. the <laughs> Arsenal men's side, yes, and we can sure. just get a little bit excited about you know Steph Catley going over to Arsenal, Olivia Williams. Uh, and, of course, Caitlin Ford's already over there as well. So that's something to look forward to, to Arsenal fans. Forget the men's side. They'll, you know, they'll get through. They're rubbish. The women are going to be really good to, yeah, to, um, to watch in the next few years.
0: <laughs> yeah, and Caitlin Ford sort of, like, kicked off that whole, I guess, uh, off-season movement of so many uh, women moving overseas. And it just seems like every day we're waking up to new headlines of, of players moving overseas into the bigger clubs. And it's something great to see. Um, I guess, as as Australians, just to see players moving overseas and, and, and playing in the best leagues in the world, it just shows how much the brand is growing here in Australia, but then also the influence overseas as well. Now, just looking towards, again, back to the Women's World Cup, sorry to cut you off and, and backtrack a little bit in that, but more so the way it's reported. How can you see that going? Because for me, I think the World Cup is arguably bigger than any Sports stage that we have currently. I'd say it's probably going to get more attention than the AFL grand final, more attention than probably the NRL grand final, and anything that the A League gets. So, from a reporting perspective and a media perspective, how can you see that sort of unfolding?
2: I think that one thing that everyone needs to be aware of is that because it's so big, it's going to be treated like a men's tournament. So, mm-hmm. there's going to be criticism there's going to be a lot of pressure. We saw it with the, the women's cricket side. They had a bit of a a rough patch halfway through their T20 tournament. They lost a couple of matches. They nearly lost that semi final, I think it was, yeah. um, against South Africa. Um, and there was criticism and there was analysis. And that is exactly what's going to happen with the Matildas. So they were probably didn't go as far as they would have liked to have in the most recent World Cup. I think it was over in France mm-hmm. last year. Yeah. Um, they didn't go as far as we expected them to, and they would be the first to say that they didn't go as far as they would have expected to go either. But that is going to be – that pressure and that um, analysis is going to be very, very different here. It's going to be amplified by 10 when they're going well, it's going to be amazing, but they've got to be prepared for when, it, if it doesn't go well as well. Uh, And that goes for the players, that goes for the coaches. But I think that that's a fantastic thing for women's sport because that shows that people are interested. People are invested in watching this team and and wanting them to do well. It's like any football club. Let's take an AFL team, for example. Your team's not going well. All of a sudden you're calling for your coach's head because you're so invested in that side. You want them to be good. You want them to be playing well. And you think that that's going to solve the problem. So while it might seem that there's some negatives that are coming out of the media it's absolutely not and it shouldn't be taken that way at all it's just means that the sport is growing and the interest is growing
1: yeah for sure and I think you mentioned the um, France World Cup last year Sam Kerr in a post game interview after a, a big win in the group stage I think basically you know just got emotional and I think she said something along the lines of you know the, for those who put a line through us cop that something like that and it's definitely not exactly what she said but it was similar and she copped a little bit of criticism for it. A lot of people liked it as well because it showed, you know, the human side of the game. And personally, I thought I didn't have an issue with it at all. But I, I what I did like even more is that it got spoken about. And I feel like having an opinion on what Sam Kerr says in a post-game interview in a World Cup it, it, is fine, like as long as it's respectful. But, like, everybody's allowed to have their opinion on it. And I think having an opinion is a good thing and – and it it helps grow the game, and hopefully, as you said, they can handle the pressure in two thousand and twenty three. know it's a, it's a while away, and hopefully, by then we can actually go. Uh, that's one of my <laughs> major concerns. See how we see how we go in four years from now, three years from now, two thousand and twenty. Um, and uh, but one thing on the Sam Kerr thing: Would you like to be standing next to Sam Kerr in two thousand and twenty three, interviewing her? Do you have any interest in reporting during that tournament?
2: Oh, without doubt, without question. <laughs> I would love to be reporting on that tournament. It's going to be the biggest tournament. I know we had the Cricket World Cup um, here this year, but football is another kettle of fish completely, as we know. It's the world game, um, and it would probably – you'd have to say it's probably the biggest sporting event we've had here since the 2003 Rugby World Cup. Yeah, I'd Mm. say it's probably bigger than the Asian Cup as well um, it's huge. It's so, so exciting. Um, and you know that the country is going to get behind them as well. So it would certainly, uh, on my bucket list of things to be reporting on in the near future, that's for sure.
1: Well, just on the future, do you have any plans? I know pretty much everybody has no idea where they're going to be one week from now, let alone career wise, but do you have, uh, some sort of, uh, you know, idea of where you'll be in a couple of months time?
2: Um, well, the way things are going, I might still be sitting on the couch. Um, but it's all going to depend on when footy start, starts to come back. I, I think it's too early to make plans. We've got um, a few little things in the in the works at the moment, a few little projects that um have been working on on the side. So hopefully we start to, to roll those out uh, over the next couple of months. And once we do get a little bit of sport back here in Melbourne, we can – uh, start to see the industry recover as a whole.
1: Yeah, cool. I, I couldn't agree more. And, you know, as someone like myself trying to break into the industry, it's proving next to impossible, but that's okay. That's this podcast isn't about me, but yeah, I can completely understand that, <laughs> you know, sort of just desperately waiting for the, the whole industry as a whole to recover and, and sort of regroup and, and see where we can go. But we do like to end our interviews with our guests with some quirky questions all right, I'll hear you from a completely different direction here.
0: Okay. Have you ever had an interview that is completely mucked up and you just have frozen, or what is the most embarrassing <laughs> interview story that you've got?
2: Oh, this one's easy. Um, my first year doing Sideline for the Super Rugby broadcast for Fox Sports, we were the, the first ever girls to to be on Fox Sports rugby broadcast. This was... Oh, this is a few years ago now. I think it was back in 2016, 2017, um, and we decided that we would trial on-field interviews straight after players scored tries. Oh. Now, this is so fraught with danger. Here you it go. was the first <laughs> time we'd ever tried it. Um, it was a game the Brumbies were playing. I was down in Canberra. I was freezing, and we had to jump through all these hoops to to get it organised. <laughs> and in the end, there was only one player we were allowed to interview. So that player had to score the try for the Brumbies and it had to be down a certain side of the field. So everything had to go right for, for okay, the interview yeah. to get off the ground. So naturally, we thought, well, this isn't going to happen. And then, next thing you know, just before half time, Henry Spate runs straight through. Scores a try and we're running around. We don't know exactly what we're doing. It's all a little (laughs) bit, we're all a bit flustered. I was sitting next to George Gregan at the time and he's going, Go, go, get out there. And we were just running around. Anyway, we got into the middle of the field, didn't really know which camera we were looking at, just walking, just hoping for the best. And I I asked a stupid question. I'm not even going to pretend it was my question was barely. English, to be perfectly honest, something about yeah. how did how did that feel or something like that. Yeah. And um, Henry was a bit out of breath and responded, and I didn't understand a word he said. And I thought, maybe, <laughs> I'm like, okay, well, maybe I just didn't hear him very well. And I was like, okay, oh, okay, yep, good, uh, well done, and ran back off the field. Anyway, we got back and we watched it back and and realized that he'd just been so out of breath and so taken by what had happened that he answered completely in Fijian so <laughs> we didn't even get an English answer out of him and you can I, I think the clip is it's out there you can definitely find it um, is Rugby <laughs> I'm disappointed it's life. not
1: on the show reel that you Put together, yeah, <laughs> well, Rugby
2: Australia put it on their um Instagram oh, a couple of months ago, just as a, a throwback Thursday. Hey, remember when when we tried to do this? I'm like, yeah, I should. Sure <laughs> <laughs> um, so yeah, I think that that would have to go down as the most infamous one.
1: That's cool. As um, keeping with your you know your career, I'm guessing you have um you know met a lot of famous people over the journey. And with that, who is the most famous person you have in your phone contacts?
2: Oh, in my phone contacts? Yep. Um, Right off the top of my head, I'd have to say Andrew Gaze from – Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, I've I've got a few uh, Wallabies legends in there, like the likes of um, George Gregan, who I've worked with for for, for many years, of course. But I I think that Gazy might top him. Um, strangely enough, they're two of the nicest guys you'll ever meet. But, um, I used to work very closely with, uh, with Drury at SEN back in, uh, back in my radio days, uh, while I was at uni. And, um, I'd say he's probably the most famous, but don't tell him because he'll just get a big head over it.
1: <laughs> oh, well, he's a primetime listener as well. Like he listens every week. So he's stuffed. <laughs> you can guarantee. It. <laughs>
0: sticking sticking with big heads nat uh, we have to ask this because david and i are actually huge fans of fox sports obviously we watch most of the coverage and we have to ask who has the biggest head in the fox sports studios (laughs) (laughs)
2: Uh, (laughs) who's got the biggest head you guys have interviewed garby haven't you
1: Yes. Yes. Yeah, we where have. every have. <laughs> have we interviewed <laughs> No,
2: no, 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 no. I'm joking. I know you guys have interviewed Gabby. That's the only reason. But for argument's sake, let's throw him under the bus. <laughs> <laughs> All right.
0: So I have, to, I have to ask then. You picked him out as the biggest head or the, the biggest, biggest ego maybe in the studio. You have to give us some sort of context about how – to validate this, Sorry, this is a No, you really job.
2: can't. It's literally, <laughs> it's literally <laughs> the first. It's literally the first name that came to my head. Honestly, <laughs> it was oh, work. It's like a family. It was like a family at Fox Sports. You all look after each other, and uh, the good thing about working in a place like that is if someone does get a little bit ahead of themselves, there's always someone to bring you back to earth. Trust me, the amount of banter that gets thrown around. So there's only so far you can go with your ego.
0: (laughs) Nah, completely fair enough. Completely fair enough. Um, I think with that being said, Nat, we might have to – bring this interview to a close because it's ticking on 40 minutes and we don't want to keep you for too long. Um, So I just want to say massive thank you from the Premier League nightclub for coming on. It has been an absolute pleasure. And I have to say, I I got some shivers there um, as you were talking about the Women's World Cup and how excited and how happy you were about the grassroots growing in Australia. So thank you so much.
2: Yeah, no worries guys. Thanks for having me.
1: another huge interview there and we always do that little like the Skype call outro thing and you know I always feel like the first word that comes out of my mouth or comes out of your mouth after an interview is just like how good was that interview but there really is nothing else to say other than that and also it was unreal to get another perspective on on the world of not just football but world sport and you could hear the passion in Nat's voice about the FIFA Women's World Cup. And it's probably something we didn't touch on enough when the announcement was made, purely because Liverpool won this league in the same day. And it was hard considering our podcast's primary thing is Premier League football. So it was really nice to discuss the Women's World Cup uh, on this episode.
0: Mm, for sure. And Damon, I think you're understated there a bit, getting another perspective. I think Nat's perspective is probably the only one that matters in terms of guests in the light we've <laughs> had on in the last few months. Um, absolute superstar. Absolute superstar. But yeah, <laughs> but yeah I think uh, honestly uh, f- for me, I think something that really resonated with me from that interview was how much passion Nat, Nat had in her voice. Obviously we don't do video here on the podcast uh, at the nightclub, but yeah, just just the passion that Nat hit, had in her voice um, just regarding the Women's World Cup and the growth of grassroots women's uh, sport in general in Australia, I think it yeah. really resonated with me because you can tell it's up in the up on the rise, and the World Cup, if anything, is just going to propel it even further and accelerate the growth.
1: Mate, I reckon it's only a matter of time before we get Caitlin Ford and Samantha Kerr on our on our podcasts. It's, it's almost probably number one target in terms of you know, like global uh, branding, if that sort of makes oh, sense, would you? From f- Australian
0: players. Yeah, that's, for sure, man. You don't saying, see 100%. many other players that have reached the likes of Sam or Caleb Ford, definitely playing for the biggest clubs in the world in terms of women's soccer. Um, and, yeah. and they definitely have the highest profile in terms of any Australian uh, football or soccer players in general. So, but that is who we have to aim for.
1: Yeah, for sure. And it's only a matter of time, trust me, or I can... Give it a couple, couple of months. Everyone, everyone uh, wants a ticket to the nightclub. They do exactly. It's it, as we said a couple of, couple of episodes ago. Actually, the, the line outside the nightclub is getting quite ridiculous, to be honest. And um, we fixed up the guy to girl ratio in, in the club, so everybody's a little bit happier in, uh, in that regard. But uh, which I pretty much reckon that's all we sort of have time for on this episode. Yeah. A pretty much interview-based one, which, again, is a little bit of a sneak peek into what Season 2 might behold. But until then, draw, if people want to hit us up on the socials, where can they find you us? You
0: can find us on the Insta,
1: at Premier League Nightclub. And, Damon, where can you find us on the Twitter? You can find us on the Twitter, at PL Nightclub or search us up on Facebook. As we said during the interview, we pretty much every time we get an interview in the works, we ask people to send in questions. And I know we laughed about how we don't get too many, but in all seriousness, guys... The listens to comment ratio isn't what I want. I, I want more people engaging with us on social media, and you know you'll get a shout out like the few that commented on this ep. Or in preparation for this episode, did so. If you want to ask a question, or if you just want to have an opinion, just just message us, comment on anything, and uh, we'll get back to you. I know, big Johnny Idol, if you're listening, uh, appreciate appreciate the love that we get from him don't we Woodrow
0: we absolutely love Johnny here at the nightclub he's our first, uh, <laughs> absolutely. first massive high profile guest and he definitely won't be the last but you know what he's always going to be sitting pretty on a mantle as number one All right, Damo. Let's uh, let's let's finally wrap it up. We're talking way too much shit for my liking right now. Absolutely clogging let's people's ears here. on the earwaves, on the airwaves. Sorry. And uh, let's 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 look forward to the next episode. Next, like like you said, Damo. Next ep is gonna be our last for season one. Never thought we'd be mm-hmm. saying that one, considering how long the season is actually drawn out for. But yes, it'll yeah. be our last.
1: Mate, mate. Actually. I'm actually my OCD is getting triggered by by the fact that the last episode is going to be episode 49 and not 50, but that's okay. Oh. I'll work through it, Eek. and uh, and maybe if I can get something in the works, we might do an episode 50. But absolutely no promises, and we'll say next week whether it's the last episode or not. But for now, assume that next week is the last episode. Aim low, so you're not disappointed. That's my life motto. And on that note, I'm out of here, Woodra. <laughs> All right, guys, thank you very much for bringing you the Premier League, Michael. We'll catch you next week. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs>